that would have been a perfect time for the lights to come up right there, right? That song breaks, dun, lights shaft right here, and I'm here. But I've listened to that song just a few times, and so I walk around the house whistling, and it's a nice little ditty, right? It's kind of cool. It's fun. It's poppy. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Simple Church. My name's Aaron. I am the lead pastor here. I'm so thankful that you're here on such a cold, cold Sunday morning. You all came out, and you're hanging out with us. So thanks for being here. Uh, if it's your first time here, we thank you so much for being here with us. We hope you got a t-shirt on your way in. Uh, if you did not, make sure you see somebody with a blue tag like this and say, I didn't get my shirt, and we'll take care of that for you, Okay. Uh, for everybody who came out yesterday for Christmas on the Town, I want to say thank you for everybody who helped. And if you just came to hang out or took part of Christmas on the Town, it was an incredible event. We were all exhausted by the end of it. We walked around like, Ugh. we had to look at our name tags to see who we were. We weren't sure. We were exhausted. So, But it was a good time. A lot of people came through. A lot of people were blessed by what we were doing here with the, the I don't even know what was happening in this room, but there was like choir crafts and choirs came in and sang and a balloon guy down here a magic guy back there it was it was good times it was good times so anyway if you didn't make it out maybe you should make it out next year it was good times for us so all right so this week we are in week two of socks and underwear and um i want to tell you a story that uh that i read this week and it's a story about a king who was more wealthy and powerful than any king ever was before ever you know would be after him and uh, he had everything he ever wanted except one thing. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be married. And uh, the problem wasn't that he lacked opportunity or lacked women who were trying to be the queen. Of course, everybody wanted to be the queen, right? He's, he's wealthy, he's powerful, and he's also got a reputation for being kind and generous. So who wouldn't want to be with this guy? He's got all the power, he's got the palace, he's got the clothes, he's got everything nice. And so the king was looking for the right person, but he was concerned if he, found, if he could find the right woman because of all of his stuff, because of all of his power. And so he was concerned, and he didn't know what he was going to do, but he knew more than anything that he wanted to be married. He knew more than anything that he wanted to share his palace and his wealth, but more than that, he wanted to share his heart. And so one day he was outside of the palace, and he saw a simple woman walking through the marketplace. And there was nothing really extravagant about her, but she caught his eye. He watched her for a number of days and realized that he was soon falling in love with her. Why he should love her is difficult to explain. She had no wealth. She had uh, no special connections, no political influence. She had nothing to offer him. Why her? Why would he fall in love with her? It's difficult to explain. But how could he express his love for her? So he asks his advisors and his staff, and he's like, what can I do? How can I let her know that I love her? And he, the, his advisors said to him, well, you're the king. Just force her to love you. Take away her freedom. Take her off the street. Bring her into your palace. Make her your wife. Bingo, you're done. And the king didn't want to do that because he knew he could force her body to be there, but he wanted her heart. He wanted her heart. And so... His advisors suggested that he look on, that he find somebody that was royalty, that he find somebody that was like him. And so he did, but all the while, the weeks and the months are passing, and he's still thinking about this peasant woman. And so he finally decided maybe one of the ways to win her was to shower her with gifts. If you look at the peasant woman, she doesn't have very nice clothes, she's dirty, she's hungry, she's begging, she doesn't have anything, she's desperate. And so... He could give her everything that she wanted with just a snap of his fingers. But then he wondered, he said, how would I know if she loved me? 
love me and not just the gifts that I gave her or met her needs. And so the king decided that was not right. And one day he rose from his throne and he decided there was one way to do it. He took off his crown, he took off his robes, he laid his scepter aside and he left the palace and he lived in a dump. He scratched out a living in the dirt and groveled for food and the king became as ragged as the one he loved. It was the only way. It was the only way he could know to become like her. In John 1, it tells us of a king. If you're here today and you need a Bible, by the way, we have prepared for you a Bible. So if you need one, just put your hand up. We will get one to you. You get to take it home. It is a free gift for you. But we are going to be in John 1 today. And uh, in John verses 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And so we see a king. This is Jesus in his palace. Luke 2, 6 through 7 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And so the king became as ragged as the ones that he loved. And this is the gift we celebrate at Christmas, right? That God became flesh, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That Jesus came, that he loved us so much that he left his kingdom and came and became ragged like us. He became like us because he didn't want to live without our love. And yet this, is, this great gift of God at this time of year is not always warmly received. Last week we talked about gifts that you get at Christmas that you're not exactly excited about, right? And this is the socks and underwear, okay? You, you get this, you, you, you need them, honestly. I mean, you need socks and underwear, right? And you, but you're not excited about it as a Christmas present, right? And, uh, and so, but, the, but then there's some of those gifts that have no purpose and you don't want them. You know what I mean? Anybody, anybody ever get a gift like that? You get it and you're like... What am I going to do with this? It's, uh, it would be like giving me a bunch of camouflage gear, right? Because I am not a hunter, right? I don't care if it's pre-stained with deer urine and it's one of those fancy ones, those fancy outfits. I'm not going to use it. I'm not a hunter, right? I, don't, I would not wear this, uh, and there's really no purpose. You know, I do like to sneak up on people, but that's not really like the camouflage I would wear. I don't really need it. So, um, <laughs> But... Uh, but, but you all have been given a gift like this, right? Um, maybe uh, it, over the years you've received gifts, and, and we all figure out how to re-gift it. Like the second you get it, you're like, who do I know that I could give this to, right? Or return it. Statistics say that everybody here will return or re-gift at least one gift this year. So what I'd like you to do is just take a moment. I want you to look to the person on your right or to your left, whoever it may be, and I want you to tell them about a story about a gift or one of the gifts that you were given over the years that you just did absolutely not want, didn't know what to do with it, maybe you had to re-gift it, okay? Now wait, I'm going to stop you before you do it. Think about this for just a moment. The person you're getting ready to turn to may have been, and you've forgotten, may have been the person to give you that gift. So I'm going to save you here for a second. Think about what you're getting ready to do, and go. Do it now. Take a moment and tell your neighbor the one gift you return.
So this isn't too hard, right? This is not hard to think of these. Uh, most of us can think of, of gifts that, uh, like that, like maybe a Richard Simmons workout video, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> what would you say? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to let him roll with it, yeah. <laughs> so some fun things out there, right? Richard Simmons videos you get. I'm just going to restart it because these jokes are worth telling. All right, bring it back in. Bring it back in. Bring it back in. I have the talking stick. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. So maybe, maybe you've gotten gifts like these. Other gifts uh, could be like, I, I've heard of, of uh, uh, these horrible gifts, like a woman who got a year's supply of Jenny Craig from her mother-in-law. That's a, that's a bad gift to get, right? Um, nose hair clippers. I've actually gotten one of these before. Now, not as a wrap present, but in my stocking. It's like, you know, you feel like nose hair clippers are one of those kind of gifts that you could just pull out of the Walmart bag and give me and go, here, you need these, right? Instead of put, but they were put in my stocking, which was great. That's the gift that keeps on giving, I guess. And uh, <laughs> the husband who gave his wife a mood ring, right? A mood ring for Christmas. And uh, he said the ring was black before he put it on her finger. And uh, as expected, he could, um, after a while, tell her mood by the, uh, by the color of the, um, the bruise on his forehead that he received after she threw the ring at him. It's the... Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. But if you're going to laugh, could you laugh and run around the room so it sounds like everybody thinks it's funny? When people listen to it on the podcast, that would be great. Just, can you imagine that? Just somebody, one person laughing, running back and forth. What's that? That's my laugh track. That's my laugh track. <laughs> We've all... <laughs> Get it together, Aaron. Here we go. Well, I have presents we've been given we don't really want, don't really need, and so we return it. And surprisingly, uh, this is what happened when Jesus was born into this world, right? This is an expensive gift that we were given in Jesus, right? It, it doesn't get any more costly than this, that God would give us his son. And Jesus would sacrifice heaven, lay aside his robes and his throne, and come to live among us. And uh, there has never been a gift like this, and yet it was largely rejected. In John 1, 10 through 11, it says that he was in the world, and though the world, oh, I'm sorry, and, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So this gift is given, but it's rejected. It's returned. And if you have your Bibles and you're underlining words, or if you want to know what a word is, remember we talk about the different translations of the Bible, the Hebrew and the Greek, and there's a word here. That word receive is, uh, is a word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it, and I'm probably going to jack it up, but it's paralambano, okay? This is not an Italian man's last name. It's paralambano. It's Greek. And it doesn't just speak of the act of receiving. It's more about the spirit of receiving, okay? More about the spirit of receiving. It, it addresses uh, and describes it to take into oneself. It's the picture of embracing or grasping. It's delighting in what you received. It's more personal. It's more intimate, Right? And in the context in which we would use paralambano today is more like a husband and wife. Do you paralambano this woman? Will you delight in her? Will you love her? Will you care for her? Will you pursue her? Will you receive her? That's paralambano. And so <clears throat> this is appropriate response to the gift that God has given for us to receive it, to delight into it, to, to take it intimately, personally to ourselves. 
But this is not how Jesus was received. He should have been warmly embraced and delighted in, but instead he was rejected by men. Something about this season causes people to be a little more receptive to Christ, though. You, you hear it, you'll go to the stores, right? And you walk around the stores and there's, there's Christmas music playing, right? And really, these songs, a lot of them are just hymns. They sing about the coming king. They sing, oh, Jesus is here. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. And all these songs are singing about Jesus and people are just kind of receptive to it. And do we know why that is? Because every other time during the year to have a Christian song playing or a hymn playing anywhere, people get offended or they won't go to that store. But I guarantee you people are not, they are not going to stop going to Walmarts or Chipotle's or any of those places that are playing Christmas music. Why is that? Why is that? Think about that for a minute. Why is that? I think maybe it's because everybody's okay with the Christmas Jesus, right? He's just a baby. He's non-threatening. He's not asking much of us. He's just a baby. You know, if you get on your devices and you Google Christmas quotes, like I did this week, you will find a whole strew of quotes, right? And these quotes are great. They range from Charles Dickens to celebrities and thinkers in this world and, and, you know, poets. You will find great people have written great things about Christmas. <clears throat> so you'd be surprised, you know, in the list of C.S. Lewis and all these guys that you would respect and make you go, wow, that's, that's deep. You'd be surprised that among them is a quote from the deep thinker, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Ricky Bobby, if you don't know who Ricky Bobby is, there's some giggles out there, so I know some people know, but Ricky Bobby is a, is a fictional NASCAR character played by Will Ferrell from the movie Talladega Nights. And the quote reads like this. Um, Some of you know it and probably say it better than I can. So it goes, when you pray, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want. You can pray to the teenage Jesus, the grown-up Jesus, or the bearded Jesus, but I like the Christmas Jesus. I like praying to a cuddly little baby. I want to pray to him. And I I think this quote nails it. It nails it, right? The spirit that a lot, of, a lot of people have this year is that he's just a baby. There's, there's nothing about him that is threatening. He's cute. He's laying in a manger. He poops himself. You can't really harm me. You know, this is the, the baby Jesus. He's cute. And yet, the very, the very baby Jesus, if you follow that storyline, baby Jesus becomes the crucified Jesus. And that's where people back off. Because the crucified Jesus, Jesus wasn't received. That's the rest of his story. We receive him as a child, but not as the crucified one. And it's one thing to accept the Christmas Jesus, but it's a little harder to accept that older Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says that Jesus would be despised and rejected by men. There were prophecies that declared this about him, that one day he would be this way. And why do people reject him? There's a couple reasons. First, people were offended by his message. If you follow the life of Christ, people were okay with the baby Jesus. People loved the miracle Jesus. You know what I mean? Everybody loved the miracle Jesus. We're sick. We're blind. We've got demons. Let's go see the miracle Jesus because miracle Jesus takes care of us. We're hungry. In John uh, chapter 6, Jesus feeds like thousands of people with a little boy's lunch. Everybody was hungry. Jesus took care of them. Everybody loves that miracle Jesus. But after he feeds them... 
he becomes the preaching Jesus. And people start to leave. Because once he began to preach, their hearts were challenged. Their hearts were pricked. They said, no, that, that's not cool. Another reason they left is because accepting Jesus meant they had to reject someone else. In John 12, 42 through 43, it says, Yet the same time, many among the leaders believed in him. That means they believed. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus was who he said he was. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. Accepting Jesus meant they would have to let go of what the Pharisees thought of them. They would lose their place in the temple. They would not be able to go there to worship anymore. They would have to let go of that in order to embrace Jesus. They believed, but they didn't receive. They didn't paralambano Jesus, right? And this happens quite often. People believe in Jesus, but can't quite embrace him because of fear of what someone else in their life may say about them. I don't know how many of you have been walking this Christian walk, but there are times you get around somebody and you're like, yeah, I'm a a Christian. You're what? I'm a Christian. You're what? I'm a Christian. Like you're you're concerned about what they're going to say about you instead of embracing Jesus. We, we, We get caught up in this. We fear being rejected by others because of our reception of Christ. And during Jesus' time, there were two different groups that were rejecting him, right? Because this verse talks about rejecting him. Why did these two groups of people reject him? The first group of people would be the Romans. Now, the Romans didn't reject Jesus because of who he said he was. The Romans rejected Jesus because he was a Jew. You need to understand during this time, this is the Roman Empire, and they have sprout out everywhere. They have taken over Israel. The Romans who were there did not want to be there. They were there because the Israelites were a proud, arrogant group, and they were not taking their oppression or being taken over very well. They would fight with them. There was all kinds of racial slurs that were exchanged between the Romans and the Jews. In fact, when the, when the Jews would retaliate, the Romans were known for going and crucifying hundreds Hundreds of them on a row, down roads, so that people would not rise up against them. The Romans killed the Jews because of their insurgents. And oftentimes, Romans would be walking through the crowds, and the Jews would, would, would get into the crowd, and they would have a knife, Assassin's Creed style, you know what I mean? And they would just get them and then run into the middle of the crowd and disappear. And so the Romans would fall that way. This was bad situation, bad juju, bad blood. It was no good. And so the Romans would have never even looked at Jesus because he was a Jew. He was beneath them. And, and I think that that happens. It's so familiar to me because as a pastor, I talk to so many people. So many people. I don't care who you are. I'll sit down and have coffee with you. It doesn't matter to me. Whatever. What are we doing? What are we talking about? And we get to that conversation. The Jesus conversation comes around. And it's not... It, it, it's not that they don't like God, it's that they don't like the children of God, right? They're like the Romans. Most people are like Romans. They've come into contact with a Christian that has just made them go, I don't want anything to do with God because of your kids. And the Jews were the children of God at the time. So the Romans would have had nothing to do with Jesus. Now, me personally, my story is that that years ago, I was offended. I was a churchgoer. I was, man, I was on fire for Jesus. I was serving. And, uh, I, I, mean, I, was, I mean, I was serving in a youth ministry. We, had, we were 
was awesome. It was great. But I was offended. Somebody did something stupid. What they did is none of your business. Who it was is none of your business. But my heart was offended. And I walked away from that situation, serving in a ministry, been there for years. And I walked out of there and I said, God, I don't want anything to do with your people. And I'm having this conversation with him. I'm driving. I can tell you where I was driving. I was on 270 right before the, the Easton exit. You all familiar with that, especially this time of year? Everybody knows where it is. And I'm beating my steering wheel. I'm angry. I was upset. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, I want nothing to do with your people. And then it, the thought crossed my mind that what, if I don't want anything to do with them, the conversation continued. Out loud, I'm crazy, dude. This is before the headsets. Before, you know, before we, we, could, we could wear the headsets and talk to ourselves, right? And, and people would just, oh, they're on the phone. This was me just, you know, down the road. It's funny, because I didn't have a cell phone for a while, but I did have one of those face plates that could remove off the front of a, off, the, off your stereo. So when I was talking to myself, I would hit that, pull that off, and put it up to my ear like this. So it's just a face plate. <laughs> but from another car, you couldn't tell. Anyway, sorry, that was just me. But I, but I, Not at this time. I'm driving down the road and I said, God, I don't want anything to do with your people. And because I don't want anything to do with your people, I, I guess that means I don't want anything to do with you. And this story is all too familiar to me. The two most res, uh, popular responses as to why people don't want anything to do with God or church is because church is boring. Okay, let's hope that's not boring around here. I hope it's not. And the second thing is, is not a reason. It always comes to you in, a storm, in the form of a story. Somebody wants to tell the story, right? They want to say, well, I was doing this. My family had a need, and we went to the church, and they didn't give. And then we found out later that one of the members who was handling the money was embezzling the money. And so I don't want anything to do with the church because that happened or because they aren't my friend or they didn't invite me to dinner. Or whatever the reason is, there's a story that comes along with it, right? It's not just a simple reason. It's a, it's, a, it's a story. It's a hurt. It's an offense. And because of that, they've written the whole thing off. They've written church off. And maybe, maybe this describes some of you. The truth, the truth is, if you're like me, I didn't want to be in a church. Maybe you're here today and you don't want to be here. Maybe a friend dragged you here. Maybe somebody blackmailed you to be here. They got something on you, and that's why you're here today. Maybe you meant to be at Vic's Pizza down the way, and you just kind of turned in here because Vic's isn't open yet. And you wanted a warm place and a cup of coffee. I got you. I hear you. Maybe you didn't want to be here today, but you're here because somebody brought you. Somebody invited you. But you don't want to be here. You don't want to be associated with the Bible. You don't want to be associated with Jesus or the church because we are self-righteous, hypocritical, and annoying Christians. And that's what you think. And if you really feel that way, I would have to say I agree. We are a wrinkled bunch of people, aren't we? We're sinful we're a mess. We aren't perfect. We are hypocritical. We say we believe the Bible and then we violate everything it tells us. We do it regularly. We're sorry. We're self-righteous. We forget that we are sinners. And we were the worst of them, saved by grace, like everyone else. And we think it has to do with the fact that we serve here on Sunday mornings, or we serve in our community, or because we prayed so many times today, or we read our Bible, that we are better. We are more righteous than anyone else. You're right. We're hypocritical. We're self-righteous. And then you say, well, the, the weird and annoying Christians, if you're sitting there and you say, I don't know any weird or annoying Christians, 
That's because it's you. <laughs> Sorry to say it. It's because it's you. But I hope that all of this points to an incredible Savior. Don't let us get in the way of seeing the gift that is in Jesus. Don't let it happen. For the Romans, this is what happened. They would never have given a Jewish carpenter turned a rabbi a chance because they associated him with the children of God. The other group that rejected Jesus is the Jews. And uh, in the book of John, he says that Jesus came specifically to those that were of his own. This is the Jews, right? And that they did not receive him, that paralambano. And the primary reason was because they had been looking for a Messiah that would come that was more of a ruler, more of a dictator, somebody that would free them from their political oppression. They thought Jesus was coming to save them from the Romans. See, the Jews had been captives many different times, and they were thinking that the Messiah would come and be this warlord, that he would protect them, that he would wave his hand and they would all fall down and or whatever it was, whatever their expectation of him was, they honed in on those prophecies. And they said, Jesus will be victorious. Jesus will have success, or the Messiah will have success. And so they were looking for this Messiah, but the scriptures are clear and the prophecies are clear. They talk about Jesus' crucifixion. They talk about how he would be born of humble birth, It talked about all of them, but they didn't focus on those things. They focused on what they wanted. They focused on a great leader, somebody that would come and sit on a throne, a king. But because Jesus wasn't the kind of Messiah they were expecting, they were thinking he would be different. They rejected him. They rejected him. And in the last week of Jesus' life, if you look in the scriptures, you see that Jesus shows up. And this is how we know they they thought he might have been the Messiah. He was on board. They were on board a little bit. Jesus shows up and he rides into Jerusalem. Does anybody know this story? He rides into Jerusalem and he rides in on a donkey. And all the people come out to greet him and they say, Hosanna. And they lay down palm leaves as he's riding into the city. And they're like, maybe this is the Messiah. He really is here. And then flip the script within a week. Jesus is being tried and judged by the leaders of the church and because and he's being beaten and brutalized and accused and condemned. And so the people decide to change their minds because he wasn't what they thought after all. And they start yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And they rejected him. They walked away when he didn't match their expectations, their preconceived ideas of him. And, and I think sometimes people reject Jesus in the same way that the Jews did, right? Because they didn't initially receive him. And uh, for us, it's like when life doesn't turn out the way that we think it should, that we reject Jesus, right? He's not the guy we thought he is. I mean, here's what you need to know about God. As a gift giver, he likes to give surprises. Uh, Ever know anybody like this, right? You unwrap a gift and, uh, and it looks, I don't know, like the box says, it's like a quesadilla maker, right? And you're like, oh, wah, wah. <laughs> I got a quesadilla maker. And they're like, no, 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 open the package. And the more you open it, you open up inside and see it's like this really amazing gift and it was for you. Anybody know a gift giver like that? Somebody that's like a secret person like that, they do that to you? Don't you just you get annoyed by those guys? It's like an emotional roller coaster. Who needs that on Christmas Day, right? Who needs that? But that's how God is, right? <clears throat> when you open up and look inside, you find it's not a quesadilla maker. It's that gift you want. And God is so much like this. He loves to surprise us. Sometimes we just need to keep opening what God has given us, the circumstances or those situations we find ourselves in. We need to keep opening it. 
Anybody here ever receive a gift from God that at first you were just like, that's not cool. That's not cool. I don't like that. But the further you got away from the situation, you found that it was really a, a blessing in disguise. Something was going on during that time that changed the circumstances of something to come, right? And that's the kind of gift giver that God is. Initially, you look at it and you go, this, this sucks. This is no good. My uncle was sick or I was sick or I lost my job, but, but look where you are now. You know? And you may be in that current situation where it just stinks and you're like, this gift is no good, God. Why did you give this to me? There's a story of a, a young lady who went into the hospital in the middle of her pregnancy, and she was sick and she was vomiting violently. And there was no drugs they could give her to keep her from uh, vomiting the way she was vomiting except steroids. So they gave her some steroids. And her baby was born early. Um, I think 26 weeks is when it came out. And so it, it came out very premature, and it had to be put on a ventilator, and they put it in the NICU. And, and, uh, and within a few days... The baby was fine, had pulled its vent out, it was doing well, and the nurses and the doctors came to her and said, did you take any medications when you were pregnant? And she said, yes, I wound up having to take a steroid. And she said, you know what? The fact that you took the steroid while you were pregnant probably saved your baby's life because the steroid caused its lungs to become developed early. And that is the only thing that saved your child. Wow. When you look at it in that light, that's a gift. She was sick. She was violently sick. She went through something she didn't enjoy. It was not pleasant. But yet when you see what it did, what God had intended, what God did for her, it was a gift. Her child was, had been marked for death. But God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you something here. And it's not going to be what you expect. It's not going to be. You're going to want to give it back to me. You're going to say, why God, why? Right? Just hold on. Just hold on to it. And I don't know if any of you have ever gone through anything like that, but I want to tell you that God knows what he's doing. Truth be told, he's in all of it. He's working for your benefit because he is for you. And many of you have similar stories to this in your life. And before you decide that God doesn't know what he's doing, just wait. Keep opening the gift. Don't be like the Jews who walked away from the Messiah because he wasn't what they expected. Okay? Because our tendency is to be that way. When God doesn't work the way we think, we should write him off. It's interesting to study why the Jews didn't receive Jesus. It's because they focused so much on who they thought he was going to be. And not too much is, is changed today. We end up rejecting Jesus because he isn't what we hope for. I mean, what kind of Savior, what kind of Messiah doesn't heal from cancer? What kind of Messiah doesn't stop my house from being foreclosed on? What kind of Messiah puts me in a crappy job? Jesus didn't come to save you from your crappy job. He didn't come to save you from cancer, although healing is available. Miracles are available, and he gives them where he wills. But Jesus didn't come to save you from those things. He came to save you from hell. He came to save you from eternal damnation. In John 16, it says that in this world we are going to have troubles, and in Jesus we have strength to endure those troubles, but he didn't come to take them away. So I want you to imagine you're in a hotel at night by yourself and the fire alarm goes off and you wake up and you're like, this is the real deal. It's getting hotter in here. There's smoke. I can smell it. The hotel's on fire and you run to the door, you know, cause the fire exit plan is on the door and you, you map your best route, but you remember one thing. 
This is my one chance to get that compliment, that, that uh, bottle of water that is $4 for free. And so you run back and you grab it. Because <laughs> the building's going to burn down. Nobody's going to know you have it. And so you grab it and you're on your way out. And as you're on your way down the hallway, racing down the hallways, you hear somebody coughing and crying and screaming for help. And you go into the room and you see a young girl crouched in the corner. She's trapped. But she's coughing. She's crying. She's screaming out, I need water. Well, you've got a complimentary bottle of water. So you toss it to her and she drinks. And she says, thank you. And you run off and you leave her. But I want to tell you folks today that we, we may do that because that, that met her immediate need. She needed water. But what if she need more than that? She needs saved from the flames. And we don't have a Messiah that has came to give us a drink of water, to give us what we think we need. He came to save us from the flames. He came to deliver us from hell. And you might be coughing and you might be hacking with life. And trust me, his heart is close to you and is near to you. But that's not what he came for. Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus isn't like that. We have a Savior who may not give us that water. Instead, he'll give us what, he need, what we need. He'll pick us up and carry us out of the fire, right? So when the angel came to announce the birth of Jesus to Joseph, she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's Matthew 1, 21. That was Jesus' purpose for us. There are some gifts that are not valuable until you realize how much you need them. And this is the way it was for those who have accepted Jesus as Savior. And you understand. For a long time, I understood that I was a sinner. And that Jesus came to save me. And I, I needed Jesus. But for a long time, I didn't realize how awful of a sinner I was. And how awesome of a Savior He is. It all changes when we see Jesus is this awesome Christmas gift because he is an awesome Christmas gift. When you understand better what he saved you from, it becomes easy to see him for how amazing he is. In the first part of John, that word paralambano that I keep saying, and I'm sure I'm jacking up, was used to represent what people did not do to Jesus. They did not receive him, and we don't see that word used again in John until John chapter 14. And it says in 14.3, if I go, and this is Jesus talking, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, paralambano you, to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus is speaking of a day when he will come back. He will split the skies and he will come back as a reigning and conquering king. And those that have received him, those that are delighting in him, those that have paralambanoed him, that in the spirit of receiving him, are delighting in him, are pursuing him, he will take to be with him and he will save them from the flames of hell there is a day so you say well i'm not sure if hell is real that's okay i'm going to tell you that it is okay jesus talked about it like through the gospels like 19 different times and in different ways it's a real thing that jesus saved us from and in revelation it describes jesus as this king riding in in all of his glory but it also describes jesus as a bridegroom coming back to get his bride Right? All those that have, that have received him. So there once was a wealthy king. Who all he wanted was love. He wanted to share his heart. And there was a peasant woman that he loved. 
He loved her so much that he rejected the typical ways to win her love. He didn't gift her. He didn't command her to love. Instead, he became ragged like her and lived the way she did. And how does the story end? Well, I would love to tell you that the girl was undone by his great act of love. I would love to tell you that she recognized it and said, this was the greatest gift anybody's ever given to me. And that she gave her heart to him. That's what I want to tell you, but I can't tell you that. Because the story's not over. And we are the ragged peasant. So how will your story end? Jesus came to save us. He was the gift given at Christmas time for us. He is that king who became ragged like us because he loved us. What will we do with this gift? Will we receive him? Will we delight in what he's done? Will we delight in him? How the story ends is up to you. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this What I feel is a solemn moment. A very, and a a specific moment etched out in time for us. For those of us here today that maybe don't know you yet. Maybe for those of us that know you but have been faltering in our faith. Those of us that want to know you. Jesus, today I hope that I have made clear great love that you have for us. I hope that some hearts have been challenged. I hope that somebody here today is ready to say, I'm ready to receive that love. I'm I'm the peasant. And I'm ready to receive the gift from the king of his love. I'm ready to, to delight in him. If that's you and you're here today, if you have never received Jesus as your savior, if you've never said, I want to enter into this relationship with him. If that's you and you're here, there's nobody looking around. We're praying. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. There's people in this room that are praying for you right now. If that's you, would you, would you lift your hand and let us know that you're here? Today, Aaron, I, I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus. I want to receive that gift and find delight in him. And for those of you that have been struggling this this Christmas season or even recently with a gift that you don't know, you're just like, Aaron, I'm not sure this is from God. I want to pray strength for you. And if you're in that season right now, would you raise your hand and let me know that's you? I I need prayer, Aaron. I need strength, Aaron. This is not something I'm going through that I'm enjoying, Aaron. Will you pray for me? If you'll put your hands up and let me know that you're here, I'll pray for you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. For those of us that are in the room that know Jesus, I would ask that you would be praying right now, just quietly at your seats. And join me in praying for these. Lord, I I pray for all those that raise their hands. Lord, I don't know their individual circumstances, but I know that you do. And Lord, I know that when we go through trials and tribulations, our heart, Lord, just gets ripped out of our chest sometimes. And we say, why? Lord, I ask that during this time, Lord, and I know you're okay with the questions. I know you're comfortable with them. You're, you're okay if we're frustrated. But I know that you desire more than anything for us to have peace. 
peace in the middle of our trials, peace in the middle of our storms, to be content. And so I pray for every person in this room. I pray for their heart, Lord. I pray that they would have peace in the middle of their their storms. And then, Lord, I pray for every circumstance, God, that you would begin to work out every bit of the details. And, Lord, that they would be able to look back and say, man, that was a gift I I didn't... uh, I didn't expect it to be so beautiful. I didn't expect it to be a blessing. I pray that that would be their testimony. I pray that they would walk patiently and keep unwrapping that gift and look for the blessing in it. Like the optimistic boy who was put in a room full of horse dung and he went in and he dove in and he started throwing it everywhere and they said, what are you doing? He said, well, with so much horse dung, there's, there's got to be a horse in here somewhere. God, your gift is, is kind of like that. It's like we just have to keep looking that way, looking for the gift. So I pray, Lord, that you would just give us hope that there is something wonderful there in the middle of it. Strengthen them, Lord. Encourage them in their hearts and their spirits today. In Jesus' name I pray. If you need prayer for anything and you want somebody to pray with you to agree in prayer, There are people that have badges like this standing in the back of the room. I would encourage you to get up right now and go to them and give prayer. We're going to close in two minutes. But uh, do that now, and then we'll come back and close the service out. Thank you, guys.